I was not expecting this many people to show up on Memorial Day weekend, but uh, hey, pleasant surprise. It's good to see all of you guys this morning. We are continuing in our series called Who Can Be Against Us? We are continuing in Romans chapter 8, and today we will be in verses 18 through 30. So for all of our kiddos in the house, if you have your activity sheets with you, there is a question on there, not who is the speaker, that's me, that's already been established with my sweet dome. Please get the reflections right. The second question is, what Bible passage are we going to be in today? That is going to be Romans 8, 18 through 30. So, so far in the book of Romans, in the 8th chapter, we have been seeing what the, what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit's role in our life. How God has called us to be His children. How we are no longer condemned. How there's no sin that can remain against us because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And how we have been adopted. How we are His sons and we are His daughters when we follow Him with our lives, when we make Him our Lord and we make Him our Savior. And so we go from the present ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now, and Paul swings forward into the future glory of God's children. So God has adopted us through the work of Jesus on the cross. If we ask for forgiveness, if we put our faith in Him, if He is the Lord, the Master of our lives. And so from that point on, he says that there's going to be something that happens. And I think for a lot of us, especially in America, especially in the American church, the gospel has been contorted to being just an enhancement, just a good thing. And so the gospel is a good thing. The gospel is a great thing. It is the best thing, but it is the best thing because it saves us from the worst thing, and that is the wrath of God because of our sin. And so we swing into the future glory of God's children but what we see is that glory does not come without first enduring suffering. And so we are in Romans 8, chapter 8. Just said that, verse 18. <laughs> For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so in this we see that the gospel is not merely life enhancement, but the gospel is a life preserver. We can think of it like this. There are two men that get on a plane. And this is not a joke. This is an illustration. I'm not setting up anything cheesy here. Two men get on a plane. One man is given a parachute and he is told, this parachute will improve your flight. And so, curious, the man puts on the parachute. And it's weighty. And it's uncomfortable. And it makes his knees stick out in the aisle a little bit more. And when he sits down in his seat, he can't sit all the way back. He's hunched forward. And people start to make fun of him. Who is this paranoid guy with this parachute that's on this airplane? What is going on right now? They start to mock him. He starts to get bitter. He starts to get disillusioned because this parachute was supposed to improve his flight. And in fact, it's doing the exact opposite. The flight attendant comes by with the cart that's way too big for those tiny aisles. She hits his knee. He's like, man, what's going on? This is supposed to make my flight better. And his heart grows even more bitter. He stands up. He takes the parachute off. He throws it on the ground. He says, this was not a life enhancement. This was not a flight enhancement. I am done with this parachute. There's a second man, and he's given a parachute. And this man, when he is handed the parachute, he says, the flight attendant looks at him, says, sir, here's your parachute. At any minute, you will be jumping from this plane, and you will be falling 25,000 
feet. Now, this man, in a little bit different situation than the other man who was thinking, this parachute is going to improve my flight. This guy is thinking, man, I am grateful. He puts the parachute on. He's saying, this is going to improve my whole life because I'm not going to splat when I hit the ground when this plane does go down. He's not thinking that this is going to be comfortable, that this is going to make me happy, that my flight will be so much better, the Dr. Pepper that they pour for me will taste better, they won't hit my knees. None of that. He is thinking, man, I am grateful because I know that this thing is not going to stay in the air and I will have a life preserver on the way down. In his gratitude, he doesn't notice the weight. He doesn't care about what other people are saying about him, are saying to him. When the flight attendant comes by with the cart that hits his knees, he thinks, you know what? I don't care if that thing just hit my knees. This thing's about to go down. That cart is going to get what it deserves. Okay? And I won't because I got this parachute. And I think in the church today, there's a good chance that we have tried Jesus on, that we have put on Jesus as a parachute, thinking that it will only improve our lives, that it will bring, Jesus will bring comfort, he will bring blessings and prosperity and peace, and those things are found in Jesus. But if we're only looking to Jesus for life enhancement, then we are only getting half of the gospel. In Jesus, we are promised trials. We are promised temptation. We are promised suffering. But in all of those things that we are promised, that are not great to go through, that are hard, that are heartbreaking, in all of those things, Jesus is with us. In all of those things, Jesus will comfort us. Jesus will bless us. Jesus will bring peace in the midst of all of those things. But it is in the midst of the suffering. It is not despite the suffering. And so, as believers in this room know that suffering is ahead, that temptation is ahead, that trials are ahead. That's what we've been promised. We've been promised that we would follow Jesus, that we need to pick up our cross and follow him, die to ourselves daily. It means die to ourselves. It means dying to the world. When you don't look like the world, the world doesn't like that you don't look like it, and it lets you know about that. It makes it very clear. So, as people that are truly following Jesus, there is suffering that is ahead of us. But Jesus is our parachute, and this plane's going down, baby. But we will be preserved. Jesus is our lifesaver. He's not merely a life enhancer. I don't know about you guys, but allergies are getting me this week. I'm going to have a lot of sips of water today. We see this when Paul writes, he writes, suffering and glory go hand in hand. The two cannot be separated. We see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus suffered. He died a death that's the most brutal death we've ever seen. He died a death that we should have died. Before that, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he took that for us. So if Jesus suffered, and we're supposed to follow after Jesus, that means in our lives there will be suffering. But because there's suffering, and because there's glory, and those two go hand in hand, we see first point today is that suffering leads to glory. If you got notes this morning, if you're taking notes, all you kiddos on the little clipboard part of that, you can write it out, you can draw it out, you can get as creative as you want. At the end of service, me and Mr. Allen and Miss Karen, we want to see what you're doing, what you're taking notes on. We want to see all your pretty pictures, Brooklyn. We're excited about that. So the first point today, as it is written on the screen, because spelling is tough, especially for me, suffering leads to glory. We see that Romans 8, 19 through 22. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so there's suffering, and the suffering leads to glory, and there's suffering in creation. Creation has been waiting. Before studying this week, this is not really a category that I was super learned in. I did not know the details of, I, I just kind of always thought we suffer as humans. Jesus died for us. I had never really thought about the suffering that the creation has gone through right alongside us. And it says the creation waits for the children of God to be identified. Creation all around us, these mountains that surround us, they are waiting, saying, who is going to follow Jesus? Why are they waiting for the children of God to be identified? Why do they want to know who is going to follow Jesus? What does that mean for creation? In the past, we see that at the fall, Adam and Eve in the garden, it brought turmoil to the land. We were cursed. We were stricken with sin. We deserved God's wrath and judgment for that. But that was not just us. That was the earth. That was creation, all of creation as well. And the land was judged, and now the land is harder to live off of, out of punishment for that sin. Now, it is in a constant pattern of decay. Jacob told me this really scary study that by like 20, 2150, the year 2150, that Phoenix will not be inhabitable. Most of us feel like that every summer anyways, but like literally, you won't be able to live here because you'll just burn up because global warming or whatever it is that is causing it. But we see that whether it's global warming, whether it's the crazy weather patterns that are taking place, whether it is tsunamis, earthquakes, forest fires, I saw the white tanks on fire the other night, that was insane, that the earth is in a pattern of decay. Life and growth are always brought about by pain. The earth creation is suffering right alongside us, and it is groaning. Creation is groaning silently, quietly. The mountains are crying out silently, groaning for the coming age of the Messiah, waiting for Jesus to return. And Jesus returns when the sons and the daughters of God are identified, when he calls his children home. In the future, when the children of God are revealed, this means that all the suffering and the creation will receive its glory. We will receive our glory, and creation is waiting because it receives glory right alongside us. When I was reading through this, I was thinking, what could this creation be like? And I am a huge fan of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. And so my mind immediately went to The Lord of the Rings. My mind immediately went to The Hobbit. And I just got fired up. I started thinking about, man, what, what could creation have been like in the garden? What would a perfect world look like in the garden? And so my mind wanders to these fantastical, mythical, majestic, powerful places that people have dreamed up. And this is New Zealand here. This is our world, but it has been fancified by CGI and effects. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see if this is what man can come up with, if this is the best that we can do, 
I cannot wait to see the creation that awaits us. When the sons, when the daughters of God are identified and creation is recreated and made new, what might that look like? Creation awaits its restoration in recreation. John Stott says this. Kids, this is pretty cool. A lot of big words, but still cool. This expectation that nature itself will be renewed is integral to the Old Testament, Old Testament prophetic vision of the Messianic age when Jesus comes. Especially in the Psalms and Isaiah, vivid images are used to express Israel's faith that the earth and the heavens will be changed like clothing. Completely different, completely new. That God will create new heavens and a new earth, including a new Jerusalem. That the desert that we live in will blossom like a crocus and so display the glory of Yahweh, that the wild and domestic animals will coexist in peace. That means those coyotes that hunt down your little chihuahua in the backyard, they're going to be best friends. And that even the most ferocious and poisonous creatures will neither harm nor destroy throughout God's new creation. That is powerful. That is magical. That's something that we get a tiny glimpse of in the Chronicles of Narnia, in Lord of the Rings, where this setting that takes place is just as powerful as the characters that we fall in love with in these books. That is a new creation. Do you fall in love with those settings? Church family, we haven't seen anything yet. And so we look forward to creation being made new. Suffering leads to glory not only in creation, but in God's children. We see this, Romans 8, 23 through 27. <clears throat> says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we, as God's children, groan alongside with God's creation. We groan two different ways. In verse 23, we see that we groan physically. We are no longer in Adam, but we are in Jesus, we no longer live in the flesh, but we have received a first fruit of the Spirit. These first fruits of the Spirit are a down payment on the riches of the glory that is ahead of us. So if you think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost. It indwells believers. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us. It lives inside of us. It seals us until the day that God calls us home. And the power and the riches of the Holy Spirit is a down payment on the riches to come. That means it's not the full thing. When I think about the power of the Holy Spirit and the things I've seen the Holy Spirit do in my life that are unexplainable, and I see how He can redeem, how He can restore, how He can take broken hearts and put them back together, I think that's just a down payment on what's ahead. It's unfathomable. Seeing broken, messed up people made new, restored, regenerated, justified, sanctified, so that one day they can be glorified and to think that that is just a fraction. That is just a portion of what is to come when we are glorified with Jesus. And so we groan, and we groan physically. 
And our bodies groan for this new creation just like the earth groans. And we groan in discomfort and longing. And in that groaning and in that suffering, the Spirit gives us joy and it gives us hope in the midst of discomfort. My brother came into town a couple weeks ago. He's really weird, so he likes this game called uh, Frisbee Golf. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like golf, but with Frisbees. Instead of holes, they have baskets. And so uh, you throw these Frisbees long distances, and you try to get it in the basket. And he's really fired up about it. And I just immediately get fired up about things that other people are fired up about. So that's why I don't really hold true to any sports team. So I'll cheer for whatever team you're excited about. I just want to be there for the excitement. And so he comes over and he's like, hey, man, like one of the only Frisbee golf courses in this part of Arizona in the West Valley is 30 minutes from your house. Do you want to go play? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll watch you play. He's like, what do you mean you're going to watch me play? I was like, hey, last time we threw Frisbee golfs outside of your house at Thanksgiving, um, Frisbee discs, not Frisbee golf. <laughs> Frisbee golf disc. It's all right, Jacob. Hold it together. <laughs> We were throwing him outside of his house in this basket that he bought. That's how dedicated he is. And uh, I could not move my arm for the next two days. I tried to sleep, and sometimes when I snore, Rachel pushes me. I roll over on that side and put my arm under my pillow. I couldn't even do that, so I lost out on sleep. And I said, hey, man, I know you're really excited about Frisbee golf, so I'm going to go with you and support you. So I'm going to be the best caddy you've ever seen in my life. And I'm not even sure this is a sport that really appreciates a good caddy, but... It better now because I showed up with a backpack. I had long sleeves on. I didn't know how long we were going to be out there. Uh, I had this like wide brim hat with a little flap that goes down. No sun was going to touch me. I was rocking some shorts and some hiking boots. I wasn't going to wear pants because I'm not a crazy person. It was 90 degrees outside. And I had two gallons of water in my backpack and three Frisbees. And at every hole, I would try to tell him exactly what Frisbee he needed to throw in a game I had no idea how to play. But hey, play the part, right? So I could not partake in Frisbee golf with my brother because I knew that my body was groaning. I knew that there would be suffering to follow. And it's not just that. There's high-impact sports that I've played most of my life. I got my hips checked out a while back. They said I have the hips. At 19 years old, I have the hips of a 75-year-old man. Hip replacement surgery is a must for me before I hit the age of 40. Our body's grown. They long for the new bodies that are ahead of them. I broke my back playing football. I have a vertebrae that is still not completely healed. And every now and then, if I pick up something sideways or just not perfect form, I'll go temporarily paralyzed. And I'll just have to sit there for a little while because Rachel and the girls ain't going to pick me up too much weight. <laughs> but that's been a little while. And then I think about the rest of the things that are wrong with my body. Struggles with a thyroid that's failing. It leads to other things, weight gain, anxiety, depression. And I can't wait for the new body that is to come because of the struggles that I have and the body that I have right now. And there's groaning that takes place. There's a groaning that takes place physically. But as I sit here and I go through the checklist of my body and my personal ailments and woes, as your pastor, I think about everything that's going on in our congregation. I think about the cancer that is spreading. I think about the problems you have that you just aren't comfortable enough to share just yet. I think about the multiple prayer requests that come in to pray for this surgery, pray for that surgery. And as a 31-year-old man who thinks he has 
physical ailments, I know that our congregation is not all around that age. I know a lot of these kids will have problems one day, but I know a lot of you are far from being kids like you once were in the physical ailments and the pains that you go through. They're horrible. And I couldn't imagine what you go through on a daily basis. In that, know that we are praying for you. And in the suffering, know that Jesus is there to bring peace, to bring comfort in the discomfort. But it is only in the suffering. In our suffering, we are brought closer to Jesus. Even Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. And as Paul writes this, we think about his life being shipwrecked, being stoned. He had rocks thrown at him, not the Arizona version. But he went through some hardships. He was beaten. His life, there were attempts on his life. Paul was a beaten, broke up, broken, messed up man, physically. Certainly his body was longing for the body that was to come. And in our suffering, we are brought closer to Jesus. In our ailments, in our pain, in the physical form, our suffering is supposed to call us and bring us and lead us deeper and deeper into Jesus as we seek him for that comfort, for that peace. We also groan spiritually. We see that here in verse 26. We groan inwardly at realization that our salvation is incomplete. We realize that we are in this already, we are saved now, but in this not yet mode of life. That we have been justified by the work of Jesus on the cross when we put our faith in him, when we follow him. But in the meantime, we are in this phase of sanctification that we've talked about a lot over the course of this church. That we are slowly becoming more and more like Jesus. That we are in an upward trend. That sometimes it plateaus, sometimes it may even go down. But over the big picture, over the long haul, we should be trending up more and more like Jesus every day until one day we are glorified. So right now we are already saved. We are already God's, but are not yet, not yet glorified. And that is what we groan for. That is what we long for spiritually, to be transformed, to be made new. And it is in this hope that we are saved. Right now we are saved, but it is a half-saved mode. We will be fully saved when judgment comes. And in that day, our hope is in Jesus. He saves us from God's wrath against our sin and that then we will be glorified. Then we will be made new. I've been looking at my life recently and there's certainly physical groaning, but there is spiritual groaning as well. When I look at different church planters around us, when I look at different pastors in the area, different men of God in my life, that I admire, that I want to set my life up like so that as I look at them, as they're looking at Jesus, that I could be, look at their habits, look at their discipline, become more like them as they're becoming more like Jesus, as Paul says. And as I am also looking at Jesus, there's a desire, there's a groaning in my life. What are the things that they're doing? How is God changing them? And I look at their lives and try to dissect that and try to take those pieces in their lives and put them in my life. Because when I sit down and I ask myself the question, am I the man that I need to be for our church to be at the place that God would call us to be? The answer is no. Am I the husband that I need to be for my family? Am I leading us closer and closer to Jesus every day? And sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no. 
Am I the husband that is loving and serving and leading my wife? Sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no. So there is a groaning and a longing in my life as I look up to these men that I admire, as they are following Jesus, that I might take some of their traits, some of their habits, and instill them in my life. But ultimately, because that is a practical, the practical outcome of them following Jesus. And as I look to follow Jesus, I want to make sure that my life is looking like him. And I can look towards other people in doing that. In verse 23 and 20 through 27, we see that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, specifically in prayer. The Holy Spirit sustains us and He lends us strength until the fullness of our salvation in prayer. He helps us when we don't know what to pray. I don't know when the last time you sat down to pray was and you just really wanted to focus in, but if you're like me, you get spiritual ADD. Your mind just starts racing about everything that is wrong with everybody and how you can pray for them and also how you can somehow circle back and pray for yourself and pray for your family. And it can be distracting and it can be overwhelming. But the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us when we do not have the words to pray because we are weak. It says he helps us express the inexpressible. That is not a a mumble. That is not a groaning. That is a it's something that is underneath the surface. That is a deep longing, a pain of the heart that needs to be expressed. The Holy Spirit helps bring that to the surface. And He helps us in our prayer. He helps us because of our half-saved situation. He intercedes for us because of our ignorance in knowing what to pray. And He intercedes for us according to God's will. And God listens and He responds. Second final point this morning is God calls us home. Romans eight twenty eight through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for God. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 28, we see that all things work together for the good of God's children. Even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of groaning, God is orchestrating something in your life, something in his bigger picture. We have to remember that it is not about us, but this is all about Jesus. There is a bigger story that we are taking place in, and God is orchestrating everything together to glorify His Son. And as followers of His Son, He is working everything together for His children, for His sons, and for His daughter. And God is purely good. And that means that the outcome, the ultimate outcome of everything that God does, every single one of God's works, are good. So what is our good? Our good is our final salvation. Our good is that we have been justified, that we are being sanctified, and one day that we will be fully saved and we will be fully glorified. Verse 29 says, He foreknew. We know that God is all-knowing. We know that God knew us before we were born. We know that He knows us intimately. This points back to the Old Testament and how he set aside Israel 
to be his people, to be holy, to be set apart. God knows you, and he has called you, and he has predestined you to be holy. But not just to be holy, but to be set apart in service to him. So know that. Know that God is not ashamed of you. Know that God is not turning his back on you, but God loves you, and God knows you intimately. That means he knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything that you would ever do. And in knowing that, he still sent Jesus to die for you. That is hopeful. There is peace. There is comfort in that. But there is also suffering. And then in verse 30, it says, he called us. Jesus is the firstborn among the brothers. This means not that he was the firstborn, the first ever to be born back from the dead, but he is the oldest. He is the one with the birthright. Everything is for him. Everything goes to him. And Jesus is creating a community of believers. We also see that salvation belongs to God. We take no part in salvation, but God calls us into relationship with him. There is nothing that we could do to be saved. All the work that we needed to be saved was done by Jesus when he died for our sin on the cross. And so the decision that we have to follow Jesus is made for us when God makes the decision to call us to him. We have a decision to make to follow Jesus because God has already made that decision on our behalf. He calls us to justify us so that there may be no condemnation against us when it comes to our sin. And he justifies us, church family, so that one day he can glorify us. And when he glorifies us, he glorifies creation. So creation is waiting. When will the believers be identified? When will the sons and the daughters of God come to the forefront? And will they make a decision after God has made a decision to call them home? When will they make a decision to follow Jesus? Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And if God is placing that decision to follow him, realizing that we need forgiveness of our sins so that we can be justified, so that we don't receive the wrath of God against our sin, I want you to know that God loved you so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for that sin so that you could be forgiven, so that you could enter into relationship with the Father. Jesus didn't stay dead when he died on the cross for your sin. He rose three days later being victorious over it, your sin over death and over the enemy so that you could spend an eternity in the presence of the Father. If that's you today, you feel like God is calling you into relationship with him, he has made that choice, then now is the time for you to make a choice. If that's you this morning, on your Connect card, there's a place at the bottom that says, I'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. But if God is calling you home, He's saying, son, daughter, you've been gone too long. Just like we talked about last week, the road home is short. It's time to come back. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that through your death, through your burial, through your resurrection, that we are justified. God, we didn't deserve that, but you love us. And you did it for us anyway. We thank you that we inherit your righteousness. Jesus, thank you that we are children. 
when you call us into relationship with you. Father, we pray that you would sustain us through the suffering that we are going through right now as a church, as individuals. Father, I ask that you would bring healing, but God, I also ask that you would bring resilience. That the pain that our church family is going through, Father, that you would meet them with peace in the suffering, with comfort in the discomfort, and that in spite of the suffering, that they turn to you and they grow deeper in their faith and in their walks with you. Jesus, we pray that you would call out your sons, that you would call out your daughters into relationship with you, that they would be identified. And so that these bodies that we are warring against and sin and flesh and temptation and suffering, that they would be made new and that creation would be made new along with us. Father, I pray this week as we go into our times of devotion with you, to our times of prayer with you, Holy Spirit, that you would intercede for us where we are weak, that you would fill that void of ignorance when we don't know what to pray, that you would intercede on our behalf with the Father, that we would pursue his will in our prayer and in our life, and that we would follow you, Jesus, that we would love you, that we would love your people. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.